The Football Show on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports I'm prepared to end it if I can well, do, it then. do it then What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Welcome along to the football show. We know that Australia are going to be playing Peru for a place at the World Cup later this year. Australia have beaten the United Arab Emirates in the last minute by two goals to one uh, to qualify for that one-off game against the South American side for a place at Qatar 2022. It is a busy week of Nations League action. The Republic of Ireland yet to win a game in the competition, stretching back to its inception in the 2018-19 season. They've played 11 games so far. They've drawn six. They have lost five and they have scored just twice. It is a pretty grim record in going into our live game with Stewie Byrne and Nathan Murphy tomorrow when the Republic of Ireland will play Ukraine for the very first time. Delighted to say we've got Gavin Cooney from the 42.ie with us. Gavin, you've been uh, on the beat today covering the Republic of Ireland and also I think covering the Ukraine press conference this evening as well. Yeah, absolutely extraordinary. I'd never been at a, I've never been at a press conference like it. So there was the Ukraine manager and also the midfielder, Sergei Sidorshuk, um, manager, of course, called Alexander Petrikov, who spoke to us at the Aviva Stadium. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not it's not your typical press conference, is it? You don't start by asking, you know, oh, Alexander, any knocks, you know, it's uh, it's something entirely different. So, uh, yeah, asked uh, Sidorshuk um, why he plays for Ukraine and says, uh, um, everybody knows what is happening in our home country, what our people are going through. Our aim, our task now is not only to go onto the pitch and play, but to call for the whole world's attention to highlight that, that we are Ukrainians, we are alive and we are fighting. Uh, he gave a, a fairly bracing account as to what it was like for him and his uh, wife fleeing Ukraine just after the invasion. She was eight months pregnant at the time. Uh, most of his family are still back in Ukraine. Um, and, you know, the uh, Ukrainian men between 18 and 60, though that's deemed fighting age, are not allowed to leave the country. But the footballers have been given an exemption because... President Zelensky himself has said that the best thing uh, possible for these, uh, the, the best way in which these footballers could help Ukraine, it's not by manning the trenches and the front lines, it's by out there by playing international matches and keeping the issue of the war to the forefront of the mind of the mind through conversations like uh, exactly this one that we're having. Yeah, and look, it's been an incredibly emotional few weeks for the Ukrainian team, particularly like having to play those two World Cup qualifiers where many of their players who were domestic-based had actually moved out of Ukraine at the start of the invasion and they've been away from home for quite some time. Their players who are already in Europe, as you mentioned, haven't been able to go home during that period at all, so they've been in camp. And then you think about the emotion of all that's happening in the background, the pride of representing your national team, and also everything that's been at stake over the last couple of games with them too. It's absolutely extraordinary. Sidorshuk was talking about the aftermath of the defeat against Wales. He said uh, a dead silence. He described a dead silence reigning over the team in the team hotel after that. He said everyone just went to the rooms. No one stirred for over an hour. Then they came out and then the coach tried to, um, sorry, rally the troops. I know that's a really bad phrase to use, but I couldn't think of a better one. Sorry. Um, but uh, that, you know, we must move on. You mu- Men must be men. You know, there's another game coming up. But it's so it's so difficult for them to, to recover from that game against Wales um, ahead of the Ireland game. Like the coach himself uh, said that, you know, the players, everyone is absolutely exhausted. Um, You know, there's never been, it's like physically it's so difficult to play two World Cup playoffs in the space of what was it, four or five days. And no team has ever had to play games with this level of emotional weight bearing down upon them. So um, 
to make a mundane football point I think you'll see a, a very changed Ukraine team against Ireland tomorrow night that seems to be uh, the vibe from those Ukrainian journalists at the at the press conference at Dublin um, so that seems to be the vibe that we that we picked up from him so there, there, will, be, there will be changes but um, just yeah just absolutely extraordinary and uh, both um, Sidorshik the, the midfielder and Petrikov the manager uh, left the press conference in the Aviva Stadium this evening to a round of applause from the Irish journalists and the manager gave us a message to like convey a message at the end of the press conference to say uh, may, your, may, the, may the skies overhead be peaceful The Republic of Ireland taking on this Ukraine team albeit as you say they're probably going to have to change up after the last five days or so and the fatigue of those two fixtures but they played very well in both I mean they comfortably beat Scotland away from home in the semi-final and we're perhaps a touch unlucky not to get something against Wales at the weekend at least send that game to extra time because there was a penalty shout that they didn't get and there was a decent chance towards the end of the game too like Ukraine could easily have got like an unfortunate enough own goal mixed into it too Ridden rock solid by the referee, I think is the official <laughs> phrase. Well, how, like that was a that was <laughs> that was a penalty. Like how is it not given? And for well, whatever about it not being given, but not even to go to VAR. Mm. They were so so unfortunate. I mean, they they had so many chances in that game. Uh, did um, did Ukraine? They had far more shots. I mean, not to bore your listeners, their xG was way higher than Wales. Um, they they were just very very unlucky. I thought um, Wales. Goal was fairly fortunate. Okay, Wales defended reasonably well and could count on Wayne Hennessy to make a couple of very impressive saves, actually, from uh, particularly late in the game. But yeah, just so so disappointing. Um, they're a very good team, Ukraine. We may not see their other uh, main players now tomorrow night in Dublin, but they're you know, they're very very good. And you see you see Zinchenko in midfield. Yeah, he's such a good technical player it's actually you realise the standard that Man City are at <laughs> it's absolutely nuts this guy can only get in the team as a second choice left back and he and he can run the midfield along with um, Stepanenko and uh, Malinovsky that midfield three are, are so so good uh, they've got uh, Kavarev down, the, down at right back he's a really terrific player uh, they're dangerous all over the field just looking back at the clips of their goals and their main chances from their last few games They've got such variation on attack. Like they scored against Scotland with a long ball that um, Yarmolenko chipped over the goalkeeper. They're really dangerous down the right flank. They're very good in the counter attack. Sinchenko can thread balls through the eye of a needle from midfield. They're a very, very technical and well-rounded team. Hmm. Now, the Republic of Ireland played well against technical teams in recent times. Like I think back to Portugal against Belgium. You were watching the game in Yerevan on Saturday, and you put the point, I think, after the game to Stephen Kenny that there was real echoes of. Luxembourg at home not just because it was a long range goal that beat the Republic of Ireland but also how the Republic of Ireland were kind of short of ideas in attack in both of those games I mean I think there is very clearly a bit of a mirror between both fixtures yeah, and you can also throw in, and you can also include the home game against Azerbaijan, mm. um, the 1 1 draw. Uh, these are three games in which Ireland are the favourites against you know, lower seed slash group fodder territory. Um, and Ireland couldn't break them down. You know, I mean, Ireland have uh, they've developed a lot under Stephen Kenny. Anyone claiming otherwise is wrong. Uh, but the games in which they developed are the ones where they're effective, a more direct counter-attacking team, or uh, when they're playing lower rank sides, when they can score early, and then obviously the opponents have to come out a little bit, and then Ireland can exploit space. That's where the big strides have been made on, uh, under the management so far. But this is now a recurring problem. Uh, give, the, give, give Ireland the ball, don't give them an, any space, and regardless of where you're ranked in the world, 
you'll have a chance against Ireland. I mean, the three games, if you forget all 2020, um, the Nations League campaign and, and the playoff uh, for the Euros, given all the upheaval of the COVID cases, etc., the fact that all the games are behind closed doors, the eureka moment for this team seemed to be Stephen Kenny's decision after the 3-0 friendly pacing against England at Wembley to go to a back three. And that, you know, that that was that made the difference. I mean, that that was a very effective tactical change. But ever since that, the three games in which Ireland have have had their highest share of possession, have had their highest number of passes completed in a game, they were against Luxembourg at home, Azerbaijan at home, and Armenia away. So that is a definite trend. And you can look at okay, all three games were decided, or sorry, the opponent scored stunning goals outside the box, like. Very low percentage shots. Not e- not even half a chance, I think, is how Stephen Kenny referred to the goal that Armenia scored. And you can think, okay, how unlucky can we be? This is this is a total aberration. And maybe the fact that those goals are going in is an aberration. But the trend is that these goals are decisive. That Ireland have have dropped seven points out of what seven points out of nine because of these goals, because they are not creating enough chances or scoring enough goals to render these wonder strikes moot in the games in which they happen. So it's it's a continuing trend. It was kind of painful to watch it in Armenia. And you could argue that, is the plan wrong? Is it too, is it too slow in the build-up? Is it too methodical? And maybe that's the case. But I also think the bigger issue, it can be they're not sticking to it sometimes either. Like the way in which Ireland chased the games, particularly against Azerbaijan and against Armenia, it's so panicky. They just, you know, end up knocking the ball along these really low percentage crosses, which from which they're very unlikely to score. In the end, one of them went in off Shane Duffy's head against Azerbaijan, but not so against Armenia. And I have to say, I was at the game. There was never a sense that Armenia were clinging on. You know, they weren't. Be- that wasn't a stadium begging for the referee's final whistle. They were jubilant at the end because that result meant a lot to them on a couple of levels. Um, they did talk about revenge for the uh, world, the Euro 2012 qualifier 11 years earlier in the build-up to that game, but they were never, they were never in, in danger. You know, the, I think the most damning statistic of it all, Will, was the fact that after Ireland went uh, a goal behind, they still had 16 minutes of normal time plus four or five minutes of additional time to force an equaliser. They had one attempt, and that wasn't even on target. It was a John Egan header from a corner that went wide. Yeah, and the vast majority of the chances, with the exception of Callum Robinson hitting the side netting during the game, were all really based around half chances from crosses and set pieces, free kicks. The one that Ogbeni had just before half Yeah, I, I would say that in the first half there was... There was some decent Irish play. I mean, in the latter half of the first half, and this is why I think Jeff Hendrick's performance has been so unfairly maligned. Hendrick was Ireland's best player in the first half, in my opinion, by some distance. And I think it's just the fact that he physically wilted in the second half. I think that's what happened. He's played 69 minutes of club action since Ireland's last friendly game. That was against Lithuania at the end of March. He played a few very, very good through passes um, for initially... Was it Ogbeni who squared it to Robinson, who had, a shot, who had a shot cleared off the line? And then he played another great pass later in the half to uh, Robinson, who took his time before cutting it back to Ogbeni, who uh, screwed a shot narrowly wide. So there were a couple of moments in which Ireland showed that they maybe could penetrate a little bit, but they just didn't do it often enough. And there was also, they were just too slow, Will. You know, Ogbeni was very, I thought Ogbeni spoke really well after the game and was very interesting about a couple of things. And he did say that we have to get more ruthless and we have to have a win-at-all-cost mentality. And then he followed that, that up by saying the ball speed was too slow. 
And I think what uh, what Agbeni means is not that he's not saying that Ireland don't go out with the right attitudes to try and win games. I don't think he's saying that. I think what he's saying is that when we have the when we as in when Ireland have the ball, there has to be a real conviction of passing that we're not just passing it sideways for sideways sake because keeping the ball is a good thing. Keep the ball because it gives you a better chance to score. So there has to be real intent, real zip in the pass and you always have to be look, looking forward. And Ireland didn't play enough of those penetrative passes against Armenia. Jeff Henrik was pretty much the only player that did it. Robinson once or twice, he physically will he was physically wilting by the first half, never mind the second half. Um and Ogbene also referred to complacency when he was talking about the ball speed issue. Which again I found interesting. It's almost as if you were doing our job here by just keeping the ball. But they're not. I mean, they're keeping the ball, but keep the ball when you're 1-0 up, you know? At 0-0, you're not doing your job by just keeping the ball. Like, the aim is to score. And I do think that sometimes in these games, Ireland, you know, Ireland are meant to lull the opposition into a full sense of security. They're not meant to lull themselves into a full sense of security. And if they're lulling the opposition in the big games against Portugal and Belgium, etc., they're kind of, you know, sending themselves to their own slumber in those games against Armenia, etc. Yeah, I think part of of the idea of Stephen Kenny, who openly I think when he took over was very open to the idea of three at the back particularly when he was waiting for John Egan to come back to fitness and felt that he could step in a three was to try and get Matt Doherty Seamus Coleman into the same team was to try and get the most out of Enda Stevens. Um, Coleman didn't have the best of games in Armenia neither did Enda Stevens really I think Matt Doherty with his injury and particularly how he was finishing the season he's kind of missed a bit in that wing back role because in the games where Ireland were playing well and Doherty was getting forward he's a really important auxiliary attacker Coleman didn't quite get up and down as much as Doherty was in the games previously Oh I think Doherty's a huge miss especially in that system there is a case to be made that Doherty has been the outstanding player under Kenny since the beginning of last year he is a kind of a pseudo playmaker I have to say because he come, Kenny wants his wing backs to come in field a lot now you can argue you can argue the merits of that uh, against teams that sit sit deep and low I mean you get around them you should kind of you know add a bit more width to the team but Okay, Kenny wants them to come in field. Doherty's really good at linking, taking up really clever positions in field, linking with Jeff Hendrick in particular. You can remember him doing it, at, particularly way to Luxembourg. It sticks out in my mind. So he he's a very he's a very very significant significant miss, I have to say, in that Ireland team, particularly in how they set up. Yeah, um, that means there's going to be a gap at right back with Seamus Coleman injured this time round. It remains to be seen if he'll be able to get back for the other two games of this window. But it leaves a decision. I mean, Cyrus Christie is probably the conservative option, put him in at right wing back. But potentially, you know, Festy could come in there. Potentially, Ogbeni could play over on that right hand side. What way are you thinking Stephen Kenny's going to go? Mm, I'm not sure. Cyrus Christie is the obvious option. Um, Kenny has previously said that he sees neither Ogbeni nor Ebesele as right wing backs now obviously uh, Ogbeni ended up there uh, for the last few minutes of the Armenia game so he is an option there Ebesele is an option there but he's he's been included as as the squad in the squad primarily as a forward he didn't make the bench in Armenia so I'd be surprised I have to say I'd I'd be very surprised to see him thrown into the starting lineup straight away my expectation would be Christie it's been a while since Cyrus Christie's played for Ireland, um, but I would—that would be my—that would 
that would be my guess that he would that he will go with Christie in that position. I don't think there'll be a change of system at all. Um, you could argue that a change of system is necessary for these uh, games, that, the likes of Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Luxembourg, where Ireland struggle. Uh, but I don't think there will be one in the space of what four days since the since the previous game. So. I'd be guessing Christie. I think you might see a change in the other wing as well. And Stevens didn't look fully fit, I don't think, or struggled physically at times, particularly after half time in Yerevan. So you, James McLean looking at looking at um Adam at training yesterday looks to be flying, you know. I mean he was <laughs> he was doing sprints with a couple of guys who you'd think might be faster than him and he's burning them, you know, and that was from the very start of training so, training. So you might see him come in at the left as well uh, on the left as well to offer a bit more energy because Ukraine are, are particularly da- dangerous down the right flank. Yeah. Um, McLean finished the season pretty well. Well, at club level too like this is a guy who's in decent form yeah he's had a great season at Wigan I, okay now the, the the only issue coming into this camp is the fact that it was kind of dogged by injury near the end wasn't it he had that knee injury he came back for the last game of the season and then I think he pulled a thigh muscle there was a thigh injury there that he was managing coming into the Ireland camp but uh, in fairness to him he's, he's unbelievably committed to uh, to physical his physical regime and to recovery and he is a model pro in that respect in that respect and he like he, he came in and I think I think the Irish camp were slightly surprised at how far along he bit, he, he was in terms of his road back to fitness so um, he's, av- he's available from the off tomorrow and I think that's where you'll see the changes so, I, like Stephen Kenny today said that there won't be wholesale changes from the Armenia game um, and I take him at his word I don't know can't see too many other changes beyond that No the only other potential change probably up front um, Troy Paris played and kind of had to drift over to the left a little bit and we've seen Ogbeni and Robinson link up quite well so I can understand totally why Stephen Kenny would want to have those two players in the attack he opted for Paris ahead of Obafemi when Obafemi came on he didn't do a whole lot you could argue this was a huge opportunity for him making his competitive debut didn't really impress all that much now he's had a good season at Swansea 12 goals this year he's played particularly well uh, since February or March of this season is the potential there for Obafemi to start ahead of Paris or do you think Paris stays in the team? Uh, I think that Parrot won't stay in the team, but I don't think he'll be. Now, sorry, this is me guessing and speculating. Mm. I don't think that Parrot will stay in the team, but I don't think Abafemi will replace him. I think he'll want another midfielder, and I think it might be Jason Knight's time to shine from the start. Um, just because Kenny was talking about using uh, the Portugal game at home last year, the nil-nil, as a template for this game. And there's there's two main variations in that three of the back system that Ireland go with. It's either a three four three, which is Ogbeni Robinson and a forward player, usually Troy Parrott in fairness, um, or a more like a three five two. So that's Ogbeni and Robinson with a midfielder in there. That's usually Jason Knight. So, uh, sorry, potentially Alan Brown rather than Jason Knight. So, I think that might be the. Ch- I think that might be a change you'll see, um, just because, as I said, uh, in these games against higher level opposition. Uh, sorry, sometimes Jamie McGrath, obviously Jamie McGrath's not in the squad, but you've seen McGrath in the team in that position in the games both home and away to Portugal. So, I think that might be. I think he might want a, a midfielder there. Um, and it's been proven like it does work in these games like Ireland might get a bit more space and Robinson and particularly Ogbeni on the counter-attack have the pace to uh, to worry Ukraine so I might see it there obviously Abafemi has pace to burn as well he could really cause problems in the counter-attack um, I'm just not sure the the players that are new to the squad are usually eased in to an extent like they're rarely thrown in from the start Abafemi played more of the game in Yerevan than I was expecting um, maybe that's a sign they'd be thrown in from the start but uh all the same, I'd be I'd be surprised if he is there. 
realistically if they want to try and stop as you mentioned at the outset Zinchenko trying to run the game from the base of midfield you probably want to get Alan Brown or Jason Knight into a position where when Ireland attack they can drift out a little bit wide and they can get up and support the two guys but they can probably drop back in and maybe make a nuisance of themselves when Ukraine are in possession so I can totally understand that I, I actually the, the more I think about it probably Alan Brown might be the perfect combo here Alan Brown actually I forgot to mention Alan Brown is actually an outside shot for the right wing back role um, he has before he has done that role I think he might have done that role for Ireland before um, and I think he's done it for president so he might he might find himself there he is a contender absolutely for that night role I don't know if he's a contender for the well, you know the two sitting roles either Jeff Hendrick or Josh Cullen replacement I think Hendrick and Cullen will both play again to be quite honest with you um, and Brown played in that sitting role against Lithuania didn't massively impress has always impressed when he's played more advanced and has is coming into the box late onto things. Saw the header against Serbia. You saw the header against Belgium. Is there any chance that Mark Travers comes into goal, or do we think Quiven Keller keeps the number one shirt? Oh, Quiven Keller keeps the number one shirt. I'd be very, I'd be amazed if if he makes a change there. Um, the impression is that Bazunu it was actually the first choice, but Bazunu is injured. That's the reason that uh, that he didn't play uh, in Yerevan was he fractured a rib. Seems to be a minor enough rib injury, but um, it's enough to keep him out for the rest of this camp. So he's out, and it's Kelleher's time to shine. And as it turns out, you're thinking. I remember writing last year that Gavin Bazunu could end up with uh, with as Ireland's a record caps holder and Kelleher end up as the unluckiest man uh, in the history of Irish football well as it turns out now if Kelleher stays fit uh, and for the rest of this window he'll have played six games in a row uh, Bazzuni missed the two games in March with illness and Kelleher uh, is obviously missing these games as well so um, yeah it, it, Kelleher will I will almost certainly keep his uh, keep his spot um, Kenny did talk um, before the camp ever began uh, that rotating he didn't see he didn't see rotating his goalkeeper during the during the window, and uh, I can understand that. That's a that's a needless level of upheaval uh, upheaval to be bringing to the team for as good as Travers has been at club level this season. Yeah, Will Smallbone won't be coming into the senior squad, but Stephen Kenny talked him up quite a bit. Understandably, performances he's been putting in for the twenty ones. Yeah, I think we didn't really need him to talk him up. You could, you just needed to look at him and Keith Andrews' beaming smile at Tala after uh, after Smallbone scored the first goal um, against Montenegro last night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's talked about Smallbone for years, and like Smallbone made his Premier League debut even before COVID. You know, he's just had such a difficult time with that cruciate knee ligament injury and other issues as well. So you know, you know, a couple of different things go for him, and Smallbone is well established in the in the squad at this point but that's not how it's worked out uh, Kenny talked about he, that he hopes the small bone gets a run uh, free of injury now a loan move from Southampton has been talked about for this season uh, for next season I think that would benefit all parties particularly Smallbone and thus particularly Ireland um, and Kenny did say that it, you know, for sure if he maintains his vein of form he has a career at senior international level but uh, it won't be uh, it won't be in this window he, uh, he did say that uh, Smallbone will definitely be playing with the Irish under-21s in, in Ascoli against Italy next week Exciting situation for the 21s I mean they've put themselves into a really strong position they've played very well throughout this group and like there are some players who have got plenty of potential at senior level you know, Connor Coventry is now the record holder with the 21s after last Last night we're getting to see a bit of Connor Noss. We're getting to see Smallbone. This is a very, very good group of players that Crawford has currently. This is the uh, this is the lesson we've learned from the last few years. Well, is if when the senior team are letting us down, cling to the Irish under twenty. Get on the bandwagon. Uh, that's where the promise is. Uh, 
very yeah, very good team, isn't it? Um, and like to think that they are now so how so Italy Sweden. If Italy win that, Ireland are guaranteed a playoff for the Euros uh, in Georgia and Romania next year. If uh, if Italy lose, I think Ireland can go to uh, sorry. If it's a draw, that that's what it is. If it's a draw, Ireland can go on top of the group if they beat Italy and Ascoli. So it's great. Like they've never been so close to qualification, and they've never qualified at this level before. Um, <laughs> and if they do it, they'll do it missing almost all of their best players. When you think about it, uh, Bazunu, Amabamadele, Paris, Connolly. Uh, who else am I missing? There's Adam, a would Adam Eden still be underage? I think he. Adam Adam Eden, Adam Eden, Nathan Collins. These guys are these guys are all Abafemi. They're all still eligible to play for the twenty ones. Um, but obviously they've been promoted to the senior team because uh, Kenny needed to infuse that squad with some youth. So a, it will be it would be a fantastic achievement if if they will get there. Um, and if they don't get there, um, Jim Crawford and most of the squad can console themselves with it's a very young under twenty one team because of all the players that have gone up to senior level. So most of that squad will be around to have another crack at it uh, when the next qualification campaign runs well, around. When I see Connor Coventry kind of running things in midfield for the under twenty ones, again he seems like a player who's very well set to step up to senior once he finishes with this team. Yeah, I think so. He's been. Uh, he's been around the senior squad. Squad, I think he was called up uh, mid one of the many uh, COVID hit camps in 2020, um, and he's had he's had an outstanding season. Uh, on, I would say second half of the season on loan at loan at MK Dons. Like we've seen, like if you do well at League One level at the moment, you're you know you're, that's not going to exactly take you out of contention for the Ireland squad, is it? So no, he looks a really good player. He look, has a really good um, range of passing, like an eye for like a quite a forward penetrative pass, which is um, a skill sorely lacking in the Ireland team at the moment. You have to say, particularly evident against Armenia. Um, would remind you, Josh Cullen. I have to say, okay, there's maybe I'm being too obvious there with the West Ham connection, etc. Uh, but you know, he he looks really good, and there's a few of those 21 players who do look like they can make an impact at senior level like Brian Maher the goalkeeper again I mean you feel so sorry for an Irish goalkeeper coming through at the moment when you see the queue of guys you have ahead of you but Maher is Maher is really really good goalkeeper you know and very modern goalkeeper that excels at you know he's very good with his feet and coming out of the penalty area um Okay, it was his 21 debut last night and Darren Mola is very exciting at left back um Aaron Cashin looks looks really assured as a centre-back again we're so well stocked for centre-backs but uh, there's another guy coming through who's lots of experience at first team uh, senior level um, it's, yeah there's just loads of players showing loads of promise but you know history teaches you that the step up between 21s and senior is monstrous I have to say you know and we've seen how at times we've seen how Connolly and Parrott and Ida and these guys who are dominant absolutely dominant at 21s level have struggled a little bit to make that step up and they're finding their feet and the more they play the more they'll improve but uh, it's a big step up but uh, sorry don't let me that don't uh, don't let that fact dampen your enthusiasm for this 21 state mix no, uh, no, no. I'm, I'm all on board this at the moment uh, as Gavin has mentioned Italy sit top of the group uh, they've played 8 games they've got 20 points they still have to play against Sweden who are our rivals currently uh, for the playoff spot but Ireland have picked up a very good 19 points in their 9 games so far Sweden are 2 points behind so really you want to draw or an Italy win realistically uh, for the Republic of Ireland to get a playoff spot but a draw uh, leaves the door open for the Republic of Ireland to qualify in their own steam so it's uh, an intriguing time ahead and the Republic of Ireland picking up that 3-1 victory against Montenegro to put themselves in a very strong position indeed. Um, it is a bit of a balancing act as you mentioned it's no exact science either Gavin when you say about players coming through like if you had said to me two years ago watching Aaron Connolly breaking through in the Premier League banging in a winner against 
against Tottenham Hotspur, you would have thought that the left forward position was in lockdown. And then you see Connolly's club career stall a little bit. It hasn't really happened from when he went to Middlesbrough. He's had a few injuries along the way too, you know, disciplinary issues there. Like there's no exact science. You would have thought Aaron Connolly two years ago, 100% he was going to be one of the Republic of Ireland's main players. It's so it's such a big step up, isn't it? Um, this is not this is not to be clear. This is not a comment specific on Connolly at all. But when you realise uh, and you talk to people around the game, that step up from under twenty one to senior and becoming a regular pro at senior level, so much of it is down to attitude, isn't it? Um, and I remember talking. I did a piece once on Jason Knight because Knight is the real deal. Like I mean, he's played what is he twenty one? He's played more than a hundred times for Derby County, and he played. You know, that's Derby County. Like that was one of the most dysfunctional football environments that anyone could have worked in. I remember I interviewed his brother, Kevin, who went over to, was it Leicester? He went over to UK and came back. It, it didn't work out for him. And he was talking about, like, I asked him, like, why is Jason able to do this? And he said, it's just how relentless you have to be in your attitude because you have to always be thinking, I'm a footballer and I always have to be doing the right thing. So that's like, so that's every minute of the day, you know, and it's, uh, you know, you're only at the training ground for a couple of hours a day. And then, you know, you go home and you have to, you have to look after yourself to eat the right things, get the right recovery. And you're always thinking, I'm a footballer, I'm a footballer, I'm a footballer. And you always have to act in that way. And that is so tough. And you're also, you know, Irish players are in a, and it's uniquely difficult for Irish players because traditionally they've always had to go away. So they don't rarely, if ever, have they have their family family around them you know so that like that is just a little insight I thought into how difficult that step up like that step up is and anyone will talk talk to anyone like senior international level is is of a very high standard okay it's nothing like the elite reaches of the Premier League but there are no Irish players at that level anymore um, so regardless of where they're stepping from it's going to be a step up to senior international level Well look I'm excited to see Republic of Ireland squads with AC Milan Bruce Mugen Gladbach Hitafe Sevilla listed as the clubs as opposed to uh, all the English teams in Celtic for the best part Gavin thanks a million for joining us Cheers well Quick check on the football currently underway. As mentioned, Australia are getting ready now for a playoff for the World Cup against Peru. They have come through against the UAE tonight uh, by two goals to one. Uh, Germany have taken the lead against England. There's just five minutes left in Munich in that game. Uh, the goal coming from Hoffman midway through the second half for Germany. So Germany lead against England by one goal to nil. It is currently 2-1 to Italy against Hungary. That game is deep in injury time. In League B, which is of course Ireland's league. Uh, Finland defeating Montenegro by two goals to nil in the early kickoff. Bosnia and Herzegovina lead against Romania by one goal to nil. Elsewhere in League C, the Faroe Islands nil, Luxembourg won and it finished 6-0 to Turkey away from home against Lithuania. Don't forget as well uh, that our football coverage here on Off the Ball with thanks to Sky, proud partner of the women's national football team out believe together and we can go anywhere. We'll take a very short break. Back with more football in a moment. I am a little bit of a pessimist and you are you know, but we know that but that's my job you're supposed to bring the positivity here Munster are not one of the best teams in the world at the moment The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now Welcome back to the football show. Don't forget, tomorrow evening we will have live coverage from the Aviva Stadium, the Republic of Ireland against Ukraine. First ever meeting between the sides and it's in the Nations League Group B. Let's hear then from the Republic of Ireland manager Stephen Kenny. This is what he had to say about tomorrow's game earlier today. No, it is. It is a very unusual game and uh, it's, um, you know, to the Ukrainian players and the coaches and all of the staff have been great ambassadors for 
for the country um, amidst the chaos of their lives and of their you know, compatriots really and the thousands who have lost their lives. So by continuing to play in there, bringing it to, you know, they're keeping it at the forefront of the sort of whatever country they're playing in, you know, in, within the media and within, and within the European media, because obviously it's, uh, there's, there's features across Europe on, on, on the Ukrainian team and, and, um, and their contribution and how they, how they played and so forth in the games. And it's, it just keeps the discussion pretty much to the forefront of the news. Two big games here in Dublin. It's a chance to put things right after what happened at the weekend. What do you want to see from your team that, that wasn't there? Yeah, no, I think um, we're disappointed to lose in Armenia. You know, I think it's, uh, it's now getting away from that. I think, to be fair, we've, uh, the players have been on a good run of, run of results recently. And uh, they were unbeaten in eight, only one defeat in 12 going into that game. So it's one that we want to win. And, you know, I don't think it's a game that we deserve to lose. Like, we hardly conceded any chances in the game. And we had a number of chances to score ourselves. But we know that we can play a lot better than we did overall. And um, it's one that we've left behind. We've just got to put it behind us and, and uh, go into the game against Ukraine, you know, with a strong mentality and, and try and get the win. Ashlyn, please. Yeah. Hi, Stephen. Ashlyn here from Off the Ball. Hi. It was a long trip to Armenia, home and back. Uh, not the results, as you said, or the performance that you would have wanted. It can't have been an easy few days, I suppose, to try and dust yourself off and to go again. Yeah, it's it's a long trip, but it's it's longer longer when you lose, uh, for sure. But I think it's um, it's uh, listen. That's the nature of this this game. You know, you've got to you've got you get your kicks in the teeth. And you've got to dust yourself down quickly and get back and go again. And uh, we don't have time to, uh, you know, obviously we analysed the game, we, we looked, we, we debriefed. We, we, you know, we, we did that, we moved on quickly, we're preparing for Ukraine. It's a completely different challenge tactically and um, completely different. So we've got to switch on quickly and make sure we're ready and, uh, and, and get ready for tomorrow. It's a home crowd, like we've had the crowds have been, since the crowds have come back, um, you know, with full houses for Portugal and Belgium and uh, the, the amazing games, amazing, you know, great, brilliant games of football and tremendous, the crowd were tremendous. And um, so, you know, hopefully be more of that tomorrow night. And were you surprised at all by the criticism after the game? No, no, you, you lose to Armenia, you have to accept criticism. No, I wasn't surprised at that, no. You were at the uh, under-21s game there last night. Uh, Will Smallbone in particular, as a man, is catching the eye of late. Should he be keeping his phone on for, for a call-up? <laughs> yeah, no, I must say he's had a tough time, Will, um, with unfortunate cruciate ligament injury and, and one or two other injuries and so forth. And it, what I'd love to see him get a run of games because... He definitely was was exceptional yesterday, and uh, it was it was great to see that. And you know, it would be it's great that he he'll obviously go and play in Italy next week, and uh, for the under 21s. But he he definitely has a you know a future with the senior international team. You would feel um, if he continues in that vein of form.
Republic of Ireland manager Stephen Kenny there finishing off that section from his press conference talking about Southampton's Will Smallbone how well he played against Montenegro uh, he will be saying confirmed there with the under 21 squad ahead of their crucial qualifier next week away to Italy uh, Mick and Arthur are with us um, Mick I mean, no great surprise from Stephen Kenny today really so Seamus Coleman's out he's confirmed that mm. who knows if he plays the next two games system's not going to change was very clear they're going to continue to play a 3-5-2 for this game against Ukraine and other than that didn't give a huge amount away I mean understandably he's asked there about the criticism and the disappointment for the weekend you're going to get that if you lose away to Armenia yeah no of course you are and you deserve it like you know let's be I've seen a couple of texts from the newsroom saying that we were making excuses for Kenny I don't think we were I think we were talking about two different things I think there was a it was an unacceptable result on Saturday the system thing is interesting they shouldn't change their system for this game because Trio Tobac has proven that it's the right way to play against better teams. The issue is we should have changed our system on Saturday. And that needs to be, I think, I think that, that's a discussion that we have to have a little bit more about. Is, you know, Ireland don't need to be playing five at the back or three at the back, whatever way you want to talk about it, against teams that we need, that we have a lot of ball against. Like, we, we miss out on a player. Like, you know, it doesn't, we don't need everything to be a cross into... You know, big Shane Duffy or big John Egan, like big Nathan Collins. Like, surely there's more than one way to do things. It's just, it just seems very, very. It seemed very conservative. I thought to see us playing three back. And you know what? Even play it right. Okay, we're still somewhat maybe trying to get used to the system. It's what we're going to play in the next three games. In uh, you know, in this window, and maybe, maybe you know, it's our first game back. I understand that. But at halftime, when we're clearly struggling. Maybe then you say, come on, let's take off one of the guys, get a, get a creative player in there and try and actually create something. Because we're not creating anything. Like, you know, I've Where are you I've on this, Arthur, considering that you know, three centre-backs were occupied by one Armenian striker, the goal comes from outside the box and it's a wonder hit from 35 yards. They didn't create a huge amount, uh, the host outside of that. Is it overkill sticking three in there now? Yeah, I just think he's, I suspect that he just doesn't. Like, who would you drop of the three of them? But that's, you can't be playing that way. I understand what you mean. They're, They're just probably like, three of our best players. Yeah, I think it is that. I think it's just kind of cutting his cloth accordingly. I don't like you can't like where where would you be picking out? Who are you going to drop off? Because effectively, drop any of them. Like we're not here to pick guys because they deserve it. You know, it's like you want the best team out there to win a game. Well, like, no, no, no. But I'm saying like, oh, it's harsh on Nathan Collins or it's harsh on Shane Duffy. So what? Like that's his job. You know what it's I mean? Not that it's, it's I don't mean that it's harsh. I just mean that it's not like there's an abundance of other options. Like who, who would you rather? I'd have rather played? I'd have rather Knight or Brown were in midfield as an extra body and play four at the back. With Seamus Coleman's days as a wing back are gone. Enda Stevens, I think, days as an international footballer might be gone. I hope I'm proven wrong on that, but certainly as a you know as an effective going forward attacking wing back. I thought the the fact that it was Stevens and Coleman, you know, meant that we basically had a back five in a game where we needed to fully attack. And it, uh, like, if we had Doherty there, maybe, and you want to play to his strengths, but is it a know. case? Then you think that he's maybe compensating for the fact that they are, they're not the quickest. So if you yeah. do and they get exposed, then you're just exposed with two as opposed. Yeah, to Yeah, no, I see what you're saying, and I completely understand the idea about us being exposed and us us. us uh, guarding against that and I think that's what we have to do when we're playing Ukraine and Scotland and I think that's why you know Gavin was talking about before the break about like you know how like the progress under Kenny has been measured in those types of games and that's because they have stumbled on that system but that system doesn't need to be played at all times we have to you know 
Like we I have never, to trust if, if, if you know we have to trust pace or no pace that a back four is good enough to hold out Armenia. So the argument then you drop Shane that. Duffy in that circumstance, you play Nathan Collins and you play John Egan, you play with a flat back with Stevens on the left, Coleman on the right, with the circumstances of last weekend. Yeah, and our, I mean, who's taking responsibility then for closing down the? You know the the player kind of jogging in, waiting to pick a spot and put it into the top corner. When there's, you know, you know yourself that the more players that are in there, the less people take responsibility for those things as well. You know, mm. Arthur, what would you do for tomorrow then? It, like it seems at this edge, two schools of thought: Brown or Knight go on the right side, or he goes with Obafemi if he wants to go with the extra attacker. It seems though that Kenny in these bigger games, as Gavin was pointing out, likes to go. It was Jamie McGrath at one point, it's Knight at other stages, Brown has played in there previously too, that maybe that's the solution to the gap that's there now for tomorrow. Yeah, perhaps. Like it's just I don't know, I'm not God Saturday has left me so cold. <laughs> So so cold. I'm not uh, like I don't know. I'm not really sure what tomorrow. Are you cold because of the nature of the performance, or because of the expectation that they got hammered nine nil by Norway? No, I didn't really factor that. There seemed to be extenuating circumstances to be that. To be fair, and like if a team has a player like Haaland, then all bets are off. Anything can happen if something. Can, you know, it's just that's a complete ace in the hole. But I, I just don't. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's it's so defeatist. I'm just not sure where it's going now. Really. I'm not like, and I'm not saying that that's that's no one's fault. It's not his fault. But like after that, it was just like this is this the whole thing was that this wasn't supposed to happen anymore, and that this was. But we we don't seem to have figured out any sort of plan B whatsoever. So I don't know what the next three games. The next three games are all kind of set up in oddly that sort of way. They're set up for us because realistically, if we were to get three draws or even a win and two draws, that would be seen as success. But where are we anyway geared up then for when we have to face Armenia or the like again I don't really think so and that's how you qualify for World Cups as well like it should and be routine championships is you have to beat Armenia exactly home and away yeah. even I, if they're 2-1 or whatever you have to beat them and that's what Ireland are just even not the last set campaign, up for that at the moment it's a different conversation if Ireland have beaten Luxembourg at home and not dropped those points and yeah. then they're going into the closing games where you're scrapping for second place yeah. in a way it felt like we were Rory McIlroy at a major on a Sunday and picking up points when it was already dead yeah that's a good analogy it's a good analogy because um, I, I feel as well I feel that, that those those bigger games I think the way that Kenny does what he does and the way everything's organised and the w- the work that he's putting in that regard I suspect that those bigger games we're always going to be within uh, we, we, we'll, we'll be within grasp of getting something if we need it if you know what I mean uh, like that but I, I, I've just not seen evidence to the con- the other set the other effect at all there's no guarantee like granted we bet Luxembourg co- fairly comfortably in the return but like <laughs> you wonder how close it is though to you know being this was the, the, the performance on Saturday was one of those ones that was you know we dominated the ball and didn't do anything with it and we were caught by a well-organized, lower-ranked team. They're the kind of results that can happen. Like if we had beaten a team similarly better to us than we are to Armenia, we wouldn't think it was the biggest miracle of all time. Or like if that. Josh Cullen was in the opposite direction, 76-minute bombs in a strike from outside the box. Yeah. You know, three points, professional performance. No, no, no. I'm saying that if we had beaten, I don't know, Denmark, okay, 1-0, yeah. who are better than us in the same way that we're better than, say, Armenia, we wouldn't have thought it was a miracle. Like, at least, and this is just, this is clutching us straws, but at least Ireland had the ball. Like, when, I, when we were, on, like, in the late days of O'Neill, McCarthy sometimes, certainly with Trapattoni, we were being bossed 
by inferior players. And maybe we were still winning those games, so like we need to come up with, we need to we need to get back to that for sure. The counter we were though bossed gonna, by Georgia. You can take those straws from your clutching. Yeah. Is that the possession wasn't particularly effective? No, no, it was completely ineffective. That's that's the point. Is like what I'm saying is that if that's a starting point, right, okay, we're playing a different way now. We're absolutely almost accepting as a squad instead of talking down our talents and pretending we don't have the players and everybody here guys you're all useless hopefully you'll get a result go out there and do it at least that mentality is gone at least they know they can go out and boss a game and play against inferior teams but they're just doing nothing with it at the moment so like I mean that's like you know I suppose that's useless unless it's built on but maybe maybe just maybe it's a platform to build on England have uh, got themselves a late point against Germany Harry Kane scoring from the penalty spot it has finished up Germany 1 England 1 Italy beat Hungary also in Group A the Nations League tonight by 2 goals to 1 elsewhere Finland 2 Montenegro 0 in uh, League B and it's still Bosnia and Herzegovina 1 Romania 0 there's about 4 minutes left in that game uh, which is delayed by a few Can I just make a point on the Nations League I think everybody agrees that it's good that it exists and that all these teams play each other but if Germany and England in a so-called competitive game just doesn't like I don't think anybody really cares about this it doesn't feel like the be all and end all even watching the England coverage it was about who could potentially play this week is Jared Bowen going to make his first cap so if, if that's Germany versus England the old rivals if that's the focus for it then it's a glorified friendly isn't it like we have to be honest about it as much as we think it's not really for like them the Nations League to, you think it's for the, yeah, it's the B and C teams it's for the rest of us like it's not I don't think they, like they they'll they're they'll, gonna like, qualify anyway like, yeah. even back in the day like when they used to have friendlies I don't know off the top of my head but I do vaguely recall their friendlies were always kind of seen as somewhat not serious but they were treated you certainly heard about them you heard a lot about them like I know what England like and you know there's all those lads who picked up the caps in those friendlies but it's um, yeah I suppose I just don't think it's for them but I, I do agree with you like it is odd that these two class teams are playing and it's just kind of eh. but um I do suspect yeah I think I They're feel all, like, like it's I more turned for us. on France and Croatia and there was lots of things to watch on it like you know there was lots of things that I was kind of like oh this could be good now and I just I turned it off I just didn't feel like it it didn't I didn't it didn't do anything for me it felt like I was watching Maybe not a friendly, but certain no, certainly nothing vital. No, you know. But then again, look, we should. Own, I suppose we we'll watch the Ireland matches and we'll care about them. So if everybody's doing that in their own countries, then great. It's, it's yeah. It's I think the, play, I think the playoff spots man. are more important. If you're an A, one of the teams in A, it doesn't really matter until you get to the semi-finals of the final. And even a few years ago, I remember when they went to Portugal and played the finals. It was a bit subdued, and uh, Portugal eventually won the tournament. The football show is brought to you by Sky, proud partner of the women's national team. Out believe together, and we can go anywhere. We're going to run out of time to be able to play Nathan Murphy. Quick answer from both of you guys, then. Gareth Bale, as he suggests on OTBM, the best British player since Bobby Charlton. Arthur. Yeah, probably because of the five European cups. Uh, no, I wouldn't even count two of them. Like maybe, maybe yeah, he gets three of them. But it's not even that. It's, it's what like what he's done. Like if you, there's loads of players who've done that. Terry Neal has four European cups. Like and there's loads you could pick out loads. But it's what he's done with Wales. Like that sets him over the edge. As far as I'm concerned, like I, I don't like. So like granted, England it's harder to do that. You almost have to go and win thing, which is what's why Bobby Charlton's the barometer. And like so that's the best player in that team, the best player in the best team from Britain is Bobby Charlton right so that's grand and then everything after that but what they've done like it's your counter here Mick so what's what does best player mean I guess like what he's achieved at Wales he's a, he's been an unbelievable player to be able to grab 
Wales by the scruff of the neck and lift them single-handedly. I do feel other players have done that. I would argue that Wayne Rooney's a better player over his career than Gareth Bale. The England stuff's gone. Straight away, you have to rule it out. Why? One tournament they got to a quarter final in the Euros. Wales did it with Wales. Like, they got to the semis. We're talking, but I don't think he said international player, did he? He just said British player. Oh, it was British player, yeah. You know, I think Rooney has had a better, had a better club career than Bale. And like he's England's record ever goal scorer, you know, passed out Bobby Charlton, uh, something Lineker ah, couldn't well, do. Yeah, no, yeah, but, but again, a lot more games. Yeah, against yeah. a lot weaker opposition. Um, I'm going to try on a name that I don't think is the best, but I think that is better than it's like John McGinn. That's not John McGinn. <laughs> he yeah. was tempted. No, I think Beckham. I think Beckham had a better career, and I think when I see Beckham did things for England that Bale has done for Wales. Right, let the debate continue. Okay. Beckham is the man I'm he's going to I'm dying there. on the Beckham Hill, but yeah, 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 I just yeah. came out there, yeah. Uh, don't forget, OTBM is going to be around half past seven in the morning. Uh, Ger and Ashling are going to be here. Uh, Tommy Rooney from the Football Pod looking at the Gaelic football. Sarah Donovan looking back in the hurling from the weekend. Matt Williams is going to be talking rugby. David Myler on the Republic of Ireland. And we'll have reaction. You'll get to hear Tommy Walsh again in the morning. And um, My thanks to the team tonight, Andy Martin, Arthur D and Mick in the background. Pete Malloy was on sound and Kieran McGovern who is on vision. Uh, stay tuned. Tom is up next. Give my ball and the autographs. I'll give you a move for the perfect pass. Give my ball and the out of spice. He'll give you a move with good liquor ice. Rat tap 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 Right. A man can't have no greater love to get 90 minutes to his friends. Hey.